coming up. You know what? I just want to give it to you verbatim here. It says his remark was not intended to be a factual statement. Is truth no longer valued in politics? He's not lying to get out of a commitment like jury duty or to be boastful. He's standing on the Senate floor lying to the American people to get his way. Haven't politicians always been liars? You're saying it's a falsehood and they're giving alternative facts. With so much fake news and alternative facts going around, how can we know what is true anymore? One person's fake news is another person's news. Is the post-truth era an inevitable result of the internet age? What do I know about it? All I know is what's on the internet. Have we entered an era of epistemic nihilism? What does he mean when he says words? How can we combat lies in the post-truth era? Our guest is Christopher Myers, editor of A Philosophical Approach to Journalism Ethics. Post-truth politics. Just the facts, ma'am. Coming up on Philosophy Talk. Coming soon, it's our annual Dionysus Award Show. We'll be talking about the most philosophical movies of the past year, and we want to hear from you. Submit your nominations to comments at philosophytalk.org and tell us why you think your movie deserves a Dionysus Award. Why is politics today so full of lies? And who's to blame for all the lies? The politicians? The media? Or we, the consumers? Can we philosophers of all people help to find a way out of this mess? Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm Josh Landy. And I'm Ken Taylor. We're here at the studios of KALW San Francisco. Continuing conversations that begin at Philosopher's Corner on the Stanford campus, where Ken teaches philosophy and I teach Complet as well as co-directing the Literature and Philosophy Initiative. So Josh, I'd like to officially welcome you to the co-host chair. Thanks a lot, Ken. Uh, I'm really delighted to join the team. And for all you John fans out there, John has graduated to host emeritus, but he'll be joining us again from time to time in many different ways. Today we're thinking about post-truth politics. Man, this is a timely topic, Josh. <laughs> no kidding. When it comes to the status of truth in public discourse, these really are the worst of times. Well... I don't know about that. I mean, that's a little too strong. It's always been terrible. What are you talking about? You've got a president repeating conspiracy theories. Huge percentages of the population think Obama is a Muslim. Spokespeople are talking about alternative facts or are telling us straight up facts don't exist anymore. I, I mean, things have never been worse, Ken. Look, look, I'm not denying that's all bad, really bad. But please, let's not be prisoners of the present moment. Uh, go back to ancient Athens, the, you know, the Greek flourishing of democracy, Inspiring power mongers back then, well, they would go study with the sophists. Sophists were professional liars. They would teach people a bunch of clever argumentative strategies to make the weaker argument the stronger, as, as Plato put it. They were just good for bamboozling people, though. Politicians have never, ever, Josh, given a hoot about the truth. Look, look I like to think that things got a little better in the intervening 2,500 years. Oh, really? So when is this paradise this, that you're so nostalgic for? Well, how about the Enlightenment? Oh, come on. What about the Enlightenment? Well, look, you're a fan of Kant. I am too. I mean, didn't that guy do some pretty powerful championing of truth, autonomy, and free and independent thought? Look, he's one of my favorites, and he, but Josh, he was just a philosopher, a mere philosopher. We're talking about politics and politicians. Sure, but some of that Enlightenment thinking 
percolated out. But I mean, I mean, think of the First Amendment. And what about the rise of democracy? I mean, that changed things completely. Oh, Josh, you bought into all this million stuff that the democracy creates a marketplace of ideas free from top-down control where truth can flourish. You bought into all that, right? Well, I mean, look, you know, the ideas that get believed in a democracy, they're the ones that are backed by the best arguments, not, not the ones that have the most powerful authorities behind them. Josh, where have you been? How did you get to be such an idealist? Haven't you heard of, like, manufactured consent? Oh, I see. You're with Chomsky. You think the mass media work is a kind of propaganda tool for the big corporations. That's exactly what I think. And your supposedly free marketplace of ideas get bought and sold by massive corporate interests. And boom, there goes your free independent thinking. There goes your concern for truth right down the drain. Look, I, I, I totally agree that manufactured consent is a bad thing, but come on, things are even worse now, right? Oh, how could they be? What are you talking about? Well, manufactured consent was at least hidden. Now people are lying brazenly and out in the open. I mean, think about Donald Trump claiming he had the largest inauguration crowd of all time. <laughs> no fair, Josh. You're playing the Trump card on me? <laughs> Gosh. Okay, you're, you're right about that. And, and, you know, it's not just politicians. It's the news outlets, too. Yeah, right. Now you're getting it, Ken. And the reason those news outlets can get away with that nonsense is because we abandoned the fairness doctrine, that rule that required news channels to be honest, equitable, and balanced. And don't forget about the profit motive. Just You can't forget about that one. No, no, I agree. I mean, when the media place profit margins above honesty, we've got a big problem. Well, look, okay, one saving grace. This is philosophy talk. Philosophers, we're still holdouts for the truth. Ha! Are you sure about that? <laughs> what do you mean, Josh? Well, how about our former colleague, Richard Rorty? Didn't he say that science is no truer than Scientology, just more useful? Didn't he say the very idea of a fact of the matter is one we'd be better off without? Gosh, Josh, first you played the Trump card, and now you're playing the Rorty card. You keep fighting dirty. <laughs> but, look, but surely you can't believe that philosophers single-handedly created this mess. No, no, no. Of course they didn't. No, people like Rorty didn't dig the hole. I'm just saying they're not the ones who are going to pull us out of it. Yeah, okay, Rorty's not and his brethren, but other philosophers getting people like you and me. Uh, look, I don't mean to brag or anything or toot my own horn, but I can educate people to tell the difference between truth lies and what uh, Harry Frankfurt called BS. I, I can make students allergic to bad arguments. I, I, can, I can get them to see through a piece of nonsense in like two seconds flat. Ken, everyone should take your classes. In the meantime... We should probably try to figure out how we ended up in this post-truth era. We sent our roving philosophical reporter, Holly J. McDeed, to explore some of the legends and conspiracy theories that have shaped our country's political landscape. She files this report. You ever seen a Bigfoot? Or maybe even a skunk ape, as it's known? You have! You've seen a Bigfoot! I have, yes. I have, I've had a personal experience with one, yes. This is an excerpt of the podcast Beautiful Anonymous. What's the craziest thing our government's hiding from us that you believe to be real? Random strangers call in, and comedian Chris Gethard talks to whoever's on the other end for an hour. You know, I don't, I'm not an alien believer, but I am a conspiracy theorist. In what sense? Um, well, I mean, I, I'm a believer that we were the ones who flew the planes into the Trade Center Towers, that we set up the Boston bombing, that we set up different shootings in schools, and things like that. I will say, um, when you bring up 9-11, the Boston bombings and school shootings, I think that is probably the line in the sand that many of our listeners just went, nah, not into this. <laughs> no longer into this guy. 
Or at least about half might not be into it. American listeners, at least. The other half, they do believe the government is hiding something about 9-11. That's according to the Chapman University Survey of American Fears. Almost as many think that the JFK assassination was rigged. So maybe it's not surprising that the Oxford English Dictionary declared the 2016 word of the year was post-truth. George W. Bush's senior advisor, Karl Rove, paved the way for this when he criticized what he called the reality-based community in 2005. But our perception of truthiness dates back much farther than Bush Jr. Yeah, the idea of a post-truth era implies there was a truth era, and that's just not true. Jesse Walker is the author of The United States of Paranoia, a conspiracy theory. He says we've always been a nation of conspiracy lovers. Take, for example, the Puritans, who arrived in this country in the 1600s, eager to build a new world from scratch, armed with some hardcore and some might say creative beliefs, like that the wilderness itself was involved in a conspiracy to destroy them. American paranoia was still around in the late 1850s, when Republican writer John Smith Dye suggested Southern agents had poisoned lump sugar in an attempt to assassinate President-elect James Buchanan. And it's very similar to the sorts of stories that you would hear about, you know, the deaths of John F. Kennedy, Bobby Kennedy, Martin Luther King, the attempted assassination of George Wallace. They're not just something that only appeared at the recent moment that we remember. They come up again and again and again. Kurt Anderson took a look at the more recent history of so-called truth in his new book, Fantasyland, How America Went Haywire, a 500-year history. Jumping ahead to the 1960s, Christian evangelists, hippies, and intellectuals began embracing the Puritan notion of creating one's own truth. And psychiatrists even suggested mental illness was just another way to see reality, that it was all relative. Which is to say that no one way of defining what is real and what is not real and what is true and what is not true is superior to any other. So science is not superior to magic. By the same token, untethered Americans became free to believe in UFOs, that the moon landing was an elaborate hoax, and by the 1990s, that pro wrestling can be both real and make-believe. People were willing to accept simultaneously that it wasn't real, but that they could be crazily passionate about it. And it didn't matter anymore if it was fake or real or some or both. So it made sense to Anderson, the same celebrity who would make guest appearances on semi-real, semi-fake pro wrestling matches later became the face of today's post-truth era. I can't mention uh, the WWE without noting that Donald Trump himself was a WWE performer as well as impresario and has been enshrined in the WWE Hall of Fame. It is time for the Now alternative facts are real, the media is the enemy. Anderson is worried that we may be stuck forever in fantasy land, that the dreams that practically build America may also destroy us. I think the best we can hope for is that we will not uh, <laughs> become untethered from reality any more than we are right now. Look at it from this perspective. The Declaration of Independence consisted mostly of a conspiracy theory that a king was out to enslave American subjects. And without that conspiracy theory, our country's democracy might not exist. And it does exist, right? Asking for a friend. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Holly J. McDee. Want to hear more? 
You can find the complete episode on iTunes Music. Or for unlimited listening, become a subscriber at philosophytalk.org.